Let's turn this evening, God's Word, to 1 John chapter 1, please. 1 John chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 6, read through into verse, or chapter 2, and uh, the opening couple of verses in chapter 2. So 1 John chapter 1, in the verse 6, I was thinking there, if you need a, or want a seat upstairs, you're going to have to be early next week. Uh, because I know some of the upstairs people are downstairs. Well, that's a good thing, and we're encouraged by that, and good to see so many in the house of God tonight. So First John chapter 1, and let's read from verse 6. Let's hear the word of our God. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. And we look to the Lord to bless the reading of his word to our heart. Let's unite together in prayer as God's people. Let's pray. Lay hold upon the Lord. Enter into prayer along with me. Don't leave me struggling and praying alone, but pray with and pray to our God that he will bless the word tonight. So let's, let's come before him again. Father in heaven, we do thank thee, Lord, for this time now that we have, uh, Lord, spent in thy presence, and we look to thee as we gather around your word. We thank thee for thy truth. Lord, we haven't come to hear the opinions of men, but Lord, we have come to hear what the Lord our God would have to say. And Lord, thou hast given the word. We're assured of that, Father. It's come from thee. And I pray that thou would give help to preach the word. I stand, Lord, as a candidate. Look upon me. Lord, you know our freeing. And you remember that we are dust. And you know all my limitations, my inabilities. But Lord, I thank thee that thou dost view me in Christ. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthen me for what lies before. Fill me with thy spirit. I claim and I take the promised Holy Ghost. I not only ask for it, but Father in faith I receive it. And I pray that thou would help me to preach now in the demonstration of the spirit and with power. Remember those who are not saved. Thou who knowest the hearts of all men. Come, O God, we pray, and we pray that the searchlight of heaven would be upon them, that they would feel, O God, and know that this is a word for their soul, that thou art speaking very clearly to them, and we pray that thou would draw them with the cords of love. Help, Lord, we beseech of thee. I cast myself afresh to thee. Take me up in thine hand and use me for the glory of thy name. For these things I pray in Christ's name. For his and thine everlasting praise and glory. Amen. 
Last Lord's Day evening, we were dealing with a difficult and many times misunderstood portion of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. It's a passage, passage that's often taken by the devil and misused. He is the one who would try and plunge the child of God into doubt and despair. He seeks to cause the Christian to question whether they are saved or not or whether they have sinned in such a manner that for them there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Now, we should not be surprised to see Satan come with a scripture under his arms. He came to the Lord Jesus, tempting him, saying, It is written. But as Joseph Hall commented, when he comes citing scripture, he always does with distortion. It comes out of his mouth, maimed and perverted, one piece is left, all is misapplied. Those who end up in that hopeless, helpless condition beyond salvation, as it were, while they might have received a fully orbed revelation, nothing lacking knowledge of the truth, they did not receive Christ. They did not rest their souls upon Him for salvation and the sacrifice that He made for sin. And that is the difference. They came right up to the point and understood it all to be true, and yet they willfully and consciously turned from it. They chose their sin while rejecting Christ and His salvation, knowing what it meant, the judgment and fiery indignation of Almighty God. Even though their sense of that, even though they knew that turning from Christ, even though that all that waited them was the fiery indignation and judgment of God, even though the sense of that may become dulled over time because of the hardness of sin. They never had their sins washed away in the first place, and that is the difference. For the child of God, there is a sacrifice. There is a covering for their sin, all their sin, past, present, and future, for the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. We read that wondrous truth there in 1 John 1, Verse 7. But we also read of the fact that Christians still do sin. It is not that they live in the habitual practice of sin, but like Paul we have to say, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. The fact is, Christians do sin. They are not sinless this side of heaven, but they should sin less from day to day as they grow in grace and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence the reason why the Apostle John continues in chapter 2 with these words, My little children... These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. We have every encouragement not to sin. We have every available resource not to sin, and yet we still sin. However, we're not to despair. For John goes on to say, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have as the children of God, an advocate. 
Now in the UK, legal aid, it is a provision by which those of low income can have the representation of a professional barrister in the court of law. They can have someone qualified to make their case and plead their cause. With that said, the legal system, that legal aid system in the UK, over the last number of years has been chipped away by all governments who have sought to reduce the spiraling cost of the justice system. And as a result, more and more people find that they're having to represent themselves in a court of law. Now, they're able to take with them what is called a Mackenzie friend. That is someone who can advise them, someone who can take notes for them, but they themselves must stand and make their own case. They stand before a judge without an advocate. And for those who die in their sin, they will find that they too will stand before God without an advocate, without one to plead their cause. Tonight I want to think about the opening two verses of 1 John chapter 2 under the heading, No Advocate, No Acquittal. It's quite clear, no advocate, no acquittal. Now the first point I want to draw out from the text is this, the personality of the advocate. The personality of the advocate. Now the language here is legal and it pictures a court, courtroom setting. And this introduces us to an aspect of the whole matter of salvation that is fundamental. Salvation, among other things, is a matter of divine justice. People tend to think of salvation as grounded only in the love and the mercy and the goodness of God, as if He simply decided to forgo the due penalty of sin and nullify the claims of justice that was against the sinner just because his love is so great that it simply overwhelmed his holy hatred of sin. But that is an erroneous view. In fact, it's one of the main errors of the heresy known as Socinianism. The Socinians, well, they were 16th century heretics who denied that God demanded any payment for sin as a prerequisite of or to forgiveness. They insisted instead that He forgives our sin out of the bounty of His kindness alone. They claimed that sin could either be paid for or forgiven, but not both. And they essentially taught that God could not maintain the demands of His justice and forgive sins at the same time. The thought of forgiveness and justice they thought of them as two incompatible ideas. But God's justice and righteousness demands that sin must be dealt with in a just manner. That punishment is exacted upon it. And that's something that you must get hold of, sinner. The very nature of God will see to it that every single sin is dealt with, that it's not overlooked. Now, the fact is that sinners, they're guilty before God because they have broken His law, and as such they are condemned already. Now the evidence concerning this that is presented in his court is so convincing that the sinner's mouth will be stopped from replying. The case against the sinner is so overwhelming that they dare not, that they cannot make any representation for themselves that would absolve them of their guilt. Now that does not stop man upon earth 
trying to self-vindicate here. He will try to plead his own self-righteousness. He will try to plead his own innocence. He will try to plead his own ignorance of certain things. But at heaven's judgment bar, none of those things carry any weight for the testimony against a sinner is so compelling that they will own their guilt by their own silence. All alone before the judge of all the earth, dumbstruck by the catalog of your sins, the sins that have been presented against you. Sins unseen to man, sins committed under the cover of darkness, sins of the mind and sins of the heart. Blasphemous words, lying words, filthy words, harsh words, gossiping words, deeds of unkindness, deeds of greed, deeds of deceit, deeds of uncleanness, unbelief, Christ's rejection, all the sins from youthful days until the point of your death submitted as conclusive evidence that you are guilty before God. But here is the good news, sinner. Here is something to encourage your heart this evening, and it's written in the context to Christians in this chapter. There is an advocate. There is an advocate. As one man commented, there are surely lawyers in heaven, but only one is practicing. There's only one practicing advocate in heaven, and he is a defender of all those who belong to him. Both the saint and the sinner need an advocate. Both have accusers. The saint needs an advocate because they are unjustly accused by Satan, who in Revelation 12, verse 10, is called the accuser of the brethren. The sinner, they need an advocate because they are justly accused by God's holy law, which they have broken. And so both saint and sinner alike, they need an advocate and the good news is there is an advocate. Now you might ask the question, well, what is an advocate? Well, in the Greek, it is the word parakletos, and that's a compound word, and it means to come alongside. It describes one who comes near, who comes beside to help, to comfort, to render aid, especially in a court of law. It's also translated as comforter. There in John's gospel where Christ is speaking, of the Holy Spirit. This is one that comes alongside, that stands beside the sinner. And here we have the advocate identified as Jesus Christ the righteous. And we have revealed to us in the designation of Him what qualifies Him alone to be the advocate in heaven's high court. The name Jesus points to his human nature, and as such he is qualified to represent men before God. As Christ, he is God's appointed one, God's anointed one, the eternal Son who entered into his office of a meteor, becoming a God-man. Therefore, there is none better qualified to make representation on behalf of sinners with the Father than the Lord Jesus Christ. The words with the Father that we have here, they can be rendered facing the Father or before the Father. Christ can stand in the presence of God's majestic holiness 
and not be consumed by the brightness of His glory, for He Himself is equal with God. Therefore, He alone can approach God and stand before God. And that's the sort of advocate you need, sinner. It will be absolutely foolish for you to seek to represent yourself before God because not only do your sins testify against you that you're utterly guilty and that you are a sinner, but even there as a sinner, if you could be able to stand in His presence, you would be consumed by His absolute holiness. It would be foolish to think that you could represent yourself. But there's one here who has identified for us Jesus. Christ, the God-man, can represent men and yet stand before God, before the face of absolute holiness, and not be consumed. The advocate is also mentioned as the righteous one. Now, in the Greek, the definite article is not there, but it's correct to have it there in a theological sense, for He alone is the righteous one. There is none who can mark iniquities against Him. And that stands in contrast to you, sinner. The Scripture clearly states that there is none righteous, no, not one. By nature we are all unrighteousness, vile and full of sin, as Charles Wesley put it in his hymn. And yet we're told in chapter 1 and the verse 9 that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. There is an advocate, and in his personality, it reveals to us that he is qualified to stand before God for sinners. Jesus Christ, the righteous. What an advocate he is, and you need him, sinner, to plead for you. And that brings me to my second point. We have thought about the personality of the advocate, but we have, secondly, the plea of the advocate. There is the plea of the advocate. You know, some people, they might imagine that it's only Christ who is sympathetic to the sinner. But the Father is stern and unforgiving that He is unwilling to forgive. He's intent on retribution. Yet, He is as eager for the sinner's acquittal as the advocate. In fact, it was He, yes, it was the judge whom you and I have offended. It was He who sent His Son to be the Savior. A few chapters on, chapter 4 and verse 10, we read, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Father and the Son are both inclined toward mercy. And the Scriptures, they continually reveal a God who is both ready and willing and able to forgive, extending to sinners the invitation to be reconciled unto Him. In Psalm 130, in the verse 7, we read, With the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. In Psalm 86, in the verse 5, we read, For Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all that call upon Thee. Prophet Isaiah he called out to the rebellious people of his day. And he sought to remind them that if they turned from their wicked ways again unto the Lord, well then that he would have mercy upon them 
and to their God, for he would abundantly pardon. You see, you need to put from your mind any thought that God is unwilling to discharge you from the sentence of eternal death that you are under. God takes no pleasure in sending the sinner down to the prison of eternal damnation. No pleasure in that. Though his justice and righteousness does not allow to forgo the sinner's guilt, in his eternal wisdom, love, grace, and mercy, he devised a way that sinners could be acquitted and at the same time honor his own righteousness and justice. And you know, that way he planned as the grounds of the heavenly advocate's plea. In verse 2, we read, and he, this is the advocate now, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Christ does not plead that we are innocent. He does not cite as evidence some extenuating circumstances It's very interesting that the advocate is called Jesus Christ the righteous. He's not called Jesus Christ the merciful, though he is merciful. He does not plead with the Father and say, Oh, Father, I know they've sinned, but give them one more chance. I'm I'm asking you, I'm begging you for one more chance for that individual. He's not Jesus Christ the persuasive. He doesn't play on emotions. He doesn't pull at the heartstrings as some earthly lawyers do to earthly judges on this earth. He is the righteous one and he's a case to bring. He is a cause to plead and he presents as that plead his objective vicarious sacrifice as the ground and the evidence of the sinner's acquittal. The advocate's plea is founded on his propitiation. Now, we are not to be afraid of such words in Scripture. The gospel is couched in such language. It's based in what these words mean. And it's a preacher's job to make them easy, understood, so that even the children can understand what the word propitiation means. You know, there's too many places and they want to dumb down the gospel by removing these words or not mentioning them. And as such, they rip the heart right out of the gospel. And all that remains is nothing but do your best and everything will be okay. But everything is not okay, sinner. Your best is as filthy rags in the sight of God. They're not worth pleading or presenting before His throne. So what does propitiation mean? Well, it simply means appeasement. To appease. And we understand what it means for someone who is angry to be appeased, to be placated. There's other Greek words that are related to this word propitiation. One means to make satisfaction. Someone has established a standard, and that requires you to to satisfy that standard. Or, Or someone sets a law and a punishment and you have to satisfy that law, or else you will face the punishment. Another related word, it means a sacrifice of atonement. And so you put all those words together that belong to the same family, and propitiation it means really a sacrifice which satisfied God's standard and thus appeased His wrath. 
a sacrifice that satisfied God's standard and thus appeased His wrath. Now, symbolically, God demonstrated the need for appeasement of His wrath and satisfaction of His justice with the prescription regarding the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And that flat lid upon the ark was entirely gold. And inside was the broken law. Above it was God. And between the violators of His law and the holy God, there must come appeasement. And that appeasement was the blood of the burnt offering. Each year on the day of the atonement, the high priest, he went into the most holy place and he sprinkled the blood on that lid And thus it was a mercy seat because it was there that God was satisfied. His anger appeased and His mercy was extended on the grounds of the bloodshed. And that was all typical of Christ and what He had come to earth to do. He is the propitiation for our sin. He came in the fullness of time. And he was born under the law. That means he, as a man, was under the obligation to fulfill that law. And he was also under its penalty, should that law be broken by him. But he did not sin. He kept the law perfectly. He who could not sin, he did not sin. And yet because he was the sin-bearer of his people, he must and he did undergo the penalty of that broken law. For the guilt of his people was imputed to him. And he died at the cross. Having fulfilled all righteousness and being obedient unto the death of the cross, he satisfied the righteous standard of God. And by falling under the stroke of divine justice in those three hours of tormenting darkness upon Calvary's tree, making his heart for the sheath, the sheath of the sword of divine justice, he appeased the wrath of God. Christ is the propitiation. He made the sacrifice that satisfied God's justice and turned away his wrath. Those who trust in Christ, and what he has done, they have his righteousness imputed to them, and therefore they are declared righteous in the sight of God. And since Christ has died for their sins, judgment, it cannot be meted out again on them for sins already dealt with. And it's on that grounds that sins are forgiven, that they are counted free, that they are discharged from the debt of their sin. In that way, God remains just. He's a justifier of them that believe. Mercy and truth, they meet together at the cross where that sacrifice for sin has been made, righteousness and peace, they kiss each other. As one man put it like this, all the holy attributes of God were once arrayed against us in wrath, but now because of Christ, all the holy attributes of God are now arrayed for us in mercy. Oh, this is wonderful. This is divine legal brilliance. This is the gospel. This is the case that the advocate pleads for the sinner's defense at heaven's judgment bar. No sinner is yet without an advocate. 
just for a moment, pretend. Let's pretend you'd be able to speak and represent yourself before God. That's all you're doing. You're just pretending because the Bible tells me your mouth will be stopped. But just pretend you're able to represent yourself before a God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His holiness and His righteousness. Can I ask you what would be your plea? Rehearse it now in your mind. Come on, be a man about it. Be a woman about it. If you were able to represent yourself, if you were able to put your case together before a holy God and say, I'm going to advocate for myself, I'm going to plead for myself, I'm going to represent myself, I'm going to present my evidence to holy God, what would you say to Him? Would you come to Him and say, Oh God, I know I've sinned, but you know I've been a good spouse, I've been a good uh, husband, I've been a good wife, I've been a good neighbor, I've worked very hard all my life. I went to church twice on a Sunday. I learnt my catechisms. I learnt my Bible verses. I paid into the plate. Is that what you're going to plead before God? Are you going to come before Him without the blood? Without a blood sacrifice? Do you think that a holy God would accept your case and accept your plea? Do you think He would accept you falling short of His standard do you think that he would just forego all your sin and say, well, that's a very convincing argument. Oh, you've been a right decent person. I'll accept partial obedience and a bloodless sacrifice and the works of your own hands. And you know, I'll just welcome you on into heaven. Good case, well done, not guilty, in you come. Not at all. Not at all. You'll not speak before God all the evidence will be there. All the sins of your youthful days, all hidden sins, all known sins, word, thoughts, and deeds, there they are, heaven's court. The file case is sitting down. And you'll own your guilt by your silence. You must understand that. Come on, young person. Do you have an advocate? Are you going to represent yourself? What will you stand before God and say? Nothing. Nothing. The whole world is guilty before God. I would rather have Christ advocating for me. For by Him the condemning accusation of the law against a sinner is silenced. And the insinuating accusation of the devil against a Christian, it's also silenced. In the words of Paul to the Romans, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. His pleading in glory is also referred to as his intercession. And he ever lives that he might save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. Though the old accuser roars before God day and night, Christ our advocate, he ever lives to make intercession. He never rests. He never takes a recess. He is constantly answering the charges against his children. 
by His own presence before the Father in glory as the newly slain Lamb. You know, there are so many hymns that I could quote that speak of the Savior's advocacy. Many hymns have been written on this great doctrine because it's the grounds of the believer's assurance. We have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, there he's in there and he's pleading. He's presenting the objective, vicarious sacrifice that he made as the evidence that we are free. That judgment has been paid. One such man who wrote a hymn was Nicholas Ludwig von Zinnendorf. And he laid aside his rank of nobility and he turned his back on his earthly riches to follow Christ and he wrote these words, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress, midst flaming worlds and these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head, bold shall I stand in that great day for who ought to my charge shall lay fully absolved, acquitted, discharged through thee I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. The personality of the advocate, the plea of the advocate, finally this evening, the people of the advocate. Who are the people of the advocate? Who are the ones for whom Jesus Christ the righteous represents? We're told in verse 2 that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, does that mean that Christ died for all the sins of all the people, as some would teach? This is a verse that those who teach that would run to. Did Jesus Christ die for all the sins of all the people? Does he therefore pray for all people, since the Bible clearly teaches that he prays for those whom he dies, for whom he had sorry died? Well, if that was the case, I must ask, why? Why would any go to hell? If propitiation has been made, and it has, and since by Christ's blood atonement divine justice has been satisfied, and God's wrath is appeased. Remember, that's the word propitiation. Then why would God punish sinners if Christ has made propitiation for all men of all the world? It would mean that God would be unjust to punish sin that has already been atoned for, so that cannot be the case. This verse does not mean that Christ died for all the sins of all the people. If Christ prays for all men, then does it mean that God the Father does not hear his prayer and answer them? Well, again, that cannot be the case, for Christ himself said, The Father heareth me always. This verse does not teach universalism. It's not telling us that atonement was literally made for everyone. What does it mean? Who are the people of the advocate? Well, we must understand here that John, he wrote to a primarily Jewish audience. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, we learn there that James, Peter, and John, they make it clear that their ministry is to the circumcision to the Jews. 
John was an apostle to the Jews. The recipients of his, his epistles were predominantly, if not completely, Jewish. And he's saying to his Jewish audience, who understand propitiation because they understand the sacrificial system, they understand the function of the mercy seat, they understand the day of atonement, that propitiation that Christ made was not made for the Jews only, but also for the Gentiles. It was God's intention to save a people for His glory from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, people, and nation. Christ died for sinners like you and me. He died for all types of sinners from all kinds of places. He died for all who would believe. Now here is a remarkable thing when we're thinking about the people of the advocate. This advocate, who is alone qualified to stand before God and plead on behalf of sinners, he only takes the case, the case of those who admit their guilt to him up front. Those who confess to him that they have broken the law, which is the expression of his own holy person and righteousness. He only advocates for those who see themselves as moral failures. Only people who see that they are not worthy to go in and plead for themselves because they are guilty and who need someone to go in and plead for them and to represent them. Those are the ones for whom he pleads. You see, if you don't see that, if you don't see yourself as sinful, and that you don't have the right to go in before God, if you don't see yourself as utterly and completely worthy of condemnation, then Christ will not be your advocate. Can you imagine walking into a lawyer's office here and saying, well, I want you to take my case, and I want you to defend me against the law, but I'm here to tell you now I'm absolutely guilty. Well, those are the ones whom Christ advocates for. You will have no representation before God if you do not see yourself and own yourself as guilty. And if you have not Christ as your advocate, there will be no acquittal. There will be no absolution. There will be no release from the punishment that your sin deserves. Get that into your mind, into your heart. No advocate, no acquittal. William J. Irons, he asked in his hymn, What voice is that that pleads and speaks for me in heaven's high court for good and from the curse has set me free? And he answers, Tis Jesus' precious blood. Christ has entered into heaven with his own blood there to appear in the presence of God for us. And he could not have entered and he could not have been raised from the dead if he did not pay the uttermost farthing of the debt of our sin. And therefore, tonight, sinner, once again, extended to you in the preaching of the gospel, it's not a hope-so salvation. It's not a partial salvation. This is an altogether salvation. He has paid the debt. He has entered in. He advocates for his people. Can I ask you, be honest with yourself. Do you have legal representation in heaven? Do you have one there to present before the Father the objective evidence of an atoning sacrifice? 
If you have no advocate, then you'll have no acquittal. And you'll be carried by the angels, bound hand and foot, and cast into outer darkness. Listen to the glory of God's justice as you fall into the depths of the darkness of a Christless hell, it will be to the glory of God's justice. God will have glory from you. You will glorify Him, sinner, by casting, being cast into hell. May God's advocate on earth the Holy Ghost. Work upon your heart this night. You need an advocate. And there's only one qualified. And he's got a watertight case, as it were. The divine legal brilliance of the cross. He has made propitiation for sin. By the blood sacrifice, he has satisfied God's standard something you and I fall short of. And by that, He has turned away the wrath of God for all who will shelter in Him. May you come to Christ tonight. May you give to Him your case. May He be your advocate. Because if you confess your sin, He is faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May the Lord bless His Word to our hearts this evening. Let's bow in prayer. And in the stillness before Him, God's people pray. Pray that sinners will consider that they have, as yet have no advocate. And they need one, and there is one. And he takes the case of those who are guilty. Sinner, I extend to you the invitation again if you want to speak. Myself, after the meeting, you can do that. I encourage you to make your way to the minister's room, and I'll be there. And after I shake hands with those who leave, we try to make it as easy as possible, humanly speaking, to give you that opportunity that even where you're at now, call upon Christ. Plead your guilt before Him and He will plead His sacrifice before the Father. Eternal God and loving Father, we bow before Thee and we thank Thee that we do have an Advocate Jesus Christ the righteous, an advocate with the Father before the face of the Father, one fully qualified as the God-man to stand there to represent us and to plead all the merit of his precious blood. O oh God, we thank thee that he saves us to the uttermost, completely, entirely, perfectly. None who have trusted in Christ can ever be lost because for them there is a sacrifice. Lord, speak to those who are not yet saved. 
for others who watch online. May you rid from their minds some foolish notion that thy justice and thy righteousness has nothing to do with salvation. That somehow that they will be able to tug in the heartstrings of God as it were. Look for his mercy, his love and his grace. Lord, you must deal with sin. And you've done it at the cross in Christ. Lord, draw sinners to thyself, young and old, O God, we pray. And we pray that thou be glorified in this. Lord, remember thy people, encourage their hearts, because they have a great high priest. And though the accuser roars of ills that I have done, and we know them well and thousands more, but Jehovah findeth none. We thank thee for our Saviour's advocacy. And Lord, help us to live in the enjoyment of this. Lord, may we rise above doubt and despair. And so, Lord, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be the portion of thy people this night, forevermore, until the day break and the shadows flee away and we're all safely gathered around the feet of the Lord Jesus. Do us good and take us to our homes in safety and watch over us through the night. For this we ask in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.